I want to help you avoid any of the pitfalls that I found myself in. Like, let's intentionally try to make sure that you don't go to college and you feel alone. I don't think knowledge should be hidden and I don't think it should be a secret. Hello world and welcome to Her Royal Science. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Today, we'll be chatting with Dr. Sharla White, the Vice President of Research and Development at Clear Light Bio. She previously completed her Bachelor of Science in Chemical Engineering at Washington University in St. Louis, followed by her PhD in Pharmacognosy at the University of Illinois at Chicago, then a postdoctoral fellowship at Stanford University, where she focused on vascular immunology. I am excited, beyond excited, to chat with Dr. White today about her ongoing work on improving clarity a clearing technology used in research labs around the world, including my own while I was doing my PhD. But let's start from the very beginning. Dr. White, what's your story? I have always loved puzzles. Um, Not necessarily the physical puzzles, but solving them, having a problem and and wanting to do that. And so my earliest memory is I was probably maybe five or six and my dad in the summer to keep me and my older sister, I guess, on top of our mental game, we would have these books, you know, you got to do the little summer workbooks. And at that point, my dad was doing drafting too. That's the drawings part of buildings and the structures, but putting things together, building things was so much fun. Like, oh, and if we put it here, then that's going to help it stay there. And this is how it works. And then now you've got a table and my dad encouraged that in me. And so that that love continued to grow. So it went from math to science. And so, oh, you know, here's an equation, you know, with math, it's two plus two equals four and love that there's always a rule and I can figure out tricks and I can do it faster. (laughs) So like I'm competing with myself and you start competing with others, but you're really competing with yourself. And then you get into the sciences and doing the experiments. And I'm like, this is great. Like, this is really wonderful. So I'm taking as many science classes as I can, you know, especially when high school rolls around. I think at one point I went to one high school where human anatomy and physiology was a class. And I was like, I need to take that. And we're we're doing the dissection and people are going, ooh, gross. I'm like, I love coloring these sheets and seeing it in real life and chemistry. Let's actually do the experiments. And these are the rates. And ooh, I really want to judge that. And biology, it was just as interesting, but it's not as physical. And then physics, again, you can see it in action, but then it starts to get nuanced in a different way. Like I still enjoyed it, but I'm like, oh, I'm going to take these classes. I'm going to take the advanced classes. I'll do it all. (laughs) That just kind of stayed with me. So then when it was time to go to college, it was like, how do I keep doing all of this? I think I want to be a doctor. Well, okay. You know, med school is its own separate thing. So what's going to be like the major? I'll do chemical engineering. I get to do math. I get to do chemistry. It's got a little bit of everything. But it was interesting because when you get to college, um, so I went to a PWI, a predominantly white institution. You get into engineering, and but I wanted to do med school. So you end up having some classes with people that are on the pre-med track. But there's a distinctive difference in how you approach things. So for engineering, the first class you take that you have to pass before you can do anything else on this major track is physics. But if you're pre-med, physics is what you hit in your junior year. <laughs> That's your make or break. 
And so you've, you've got these other older students that are, you know, trying to prepare for that. And you're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, I'm new to college and I got to pass this class. And then you start getting into, you know, you're taking biology and organic chemistry. And for engineering, it's an ongoing thing. You know, we've got problem sets that are due. We've got a lot of commitments up front that you have to get done. And there's not as much flexibility in your schedule. I don't, I would say probably not as much enjoyment (laughs) of uh, establishing the college experience. (laughs) But what I was noticing as I got older was like, I think some of these classes are really trying to, it would make me more type A than I already am, Mm -hmm. which I'm pretty sure my family would already say was enough and didn't need to be um, exacerbated. But even personally, I was like, I don't know that I want to become more of this kind of person. And at that point in time, with a chemical engineering degree, it was like, work for big oil or, you know, Mm -hmm. go work for a pharmaceutical company or something else. And that just wasn't as appealing to me. (laughs) And as somebody who is likes to have a plan and a backup plan and a backup plan for the backup plan, (laughs) it was an interesting experience for me to be like, I think I'm going to take a year and just really kind of figure out what it is I want to do and where I want to go next. (laughs) So... I had already had a job. It was decent paying, so I can do that. <laughs> and I'm going to actually, you know, think about it. You know, what? how do I pivot? How do I make this plan? You know, you're still interviewing for jobs because that's what you're supposed to do. You got your degree. You should use your degree for what it's for. Mm-hmm. But I ended up deciding that I think I need to go to grad school, primarily because it would be the more efficient way to pivot mm-hmm. in fields, you know, especially if that's not what your degree is in. So... I go to grad school, which was eye-opening. You know, the same way undergrad for some is eye-opening. Grad school was even more so eye-opening. And I, when people ask me about if they should go to grad school, the one thing I always try to caution people about is like, heads up, undergrad is more of a nurturing type environment for the yes. most part. Yeah, grad school isn't that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I was in my third year, I think it was getting ready to wrap up, and had that moment of, you know what, (laughs) I don't know that this and my personality are going to work out. And I don't mean the personality part from a science perspective, I mean the personality part of me of like, what I'm not going to do. Yeah. (laughs) So um, then I got to run the numbers. I'm like, well, okay. My program doesn't give you a master's on the way, and I'm pretty sure they do that for a reason. Oh, wow. So you felt a little locked in? Oh, well, yes and no. It was one Mm -hmm. of those, okay, so I need to get my thesis. How long will it take me to do what I need to do to hit the thesis benchmark? Well, that's another year. Okay, Mm -hmm. so four years for a master's. eh, I probably should have hit this point a little bit sooner. Or I can double down, focus, and shoot on getting my PhD in five years. So, mm-hmm. okay, look, I mean, I've already put three years in. I can do another two, and then I'm done. You know, yeah. later on, it's not a, ooh, you know what? I really do want my PhD. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I'm going to get it. We'll be done. We'll move on. So <laughs> I, I did that. I will say that uh, having a supportive network is essential. Yeah. <laughs> essential as a person in general yes to surviving the grad school experience because it is a survival in my opinion mm-hmm. so i did the postdoc i ended up getting on a training 
fellowship program that they had with the Cardiovascular Institute at Stanford. And that was also helpful. The things that they make you participate in, but also that they expose you to and the other people that you meet from different departments and labs was was really groundbreaking. And Stanford had a lot of other um, groups that they made available. So there was like a postdoc women in science group. So I would like a turn, attend a lunch group there and you just get a lot of insights and it's supportive. And that was the first time I had heard about like imposter syndrome. And mm. then they had uh, somebody came to talk about that. And you're just like, okay, all right. I'm, you're learning more about yourself along the way. And then eventually, like, you realize that, you know, postdocs, this is a training position. I am not going to be here for the rest of my life. So it's time to move on. (laughs) Then that was the foray into uh, industry, where you spend a lot of time trying to convince people that, yes, though I was in academia, I can handle (laughs) what we do in industry. I'm still a scientist. (laughs) Um, And so I did this uh, stint at Genentech, which... I thought I was doing a lot of like cell culture and just the volume that I was doing was a lot and, and got a new education on what a lot is. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. But you get a lot of, a lot more insight and you start to understand why there's this uh, hesitancy to hire academics or, you know, postdocs out of academia into industry because the pivot is real and, you know, we're about great science, but we're also about not wasting too much time to figure out if it's worth pursuing or not. And so that was educational in that regard. Um, But when you're working in industry and sometimes when you're at larger places, you usually have like a certain focus. And I, while I felt like I was doing great science and great work, I kind of, you know, part of the reason we get a PhD is so that we can have a little bit more say. (laughs) We feel like we've learned enough to have value. And so that's how I ended up at Clearlight. They were showing clarity and they showed these brain images. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And I could totally see applying this to cancer. And this seems exciting. I would love to be a part of like being at the front edge of innovation. Because that's, for me, I'm like, that's what we're supposed to live for as scientists. Like, I want to say that I was a part of making that happen. Mm -hmm. So I came on board. (laughs) Obviously, I enjoy a challenge and puzzles because I've been here for about five and a half years now. and. So at the end of it, uh, I still have the one thing that I think we all search for, which is I genuinely love my job (laughs) and I enjoy what I do. That's amazing. And you've bounced around quite a bit. You're at St. Louis, so St. Louis, Missouri, and then you're in Chicago, and then you're in California. Was there a reason why you chose to go where you went or was it all happenstance and kind of choosing to to enroll in certain career programs or or degree programs that were aligning with what you wanted in life? So I grew up as a military brat. Um, Both my parents served in the Air Force. And so moving around was kind of par for the course. Yeah. And while I think we had gone back to Japan, and that was about the time I was starting to look at colleges. Mm. And I just remember being in the library and I'm looking up where I want to go, because initially, I in my mind, I was like, I'm going to go to an HBCU. I'm looking at like Hampton. I'm looking at Spillman. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting together my list. And while I'm looking, I stumble upon Washington University. Yeah. The upside is it's in St. Louis, Missouri, which is where my mom's from. Oh. And so this will be a new experience because I will be in a place near my extended family. Mm. So, hey, you know, it'll be new, but there's still family in place and this will be okay. And then we happened to move, we actually happened to move to St. Louis 
where I finished out high school. And so I was in high school and I had this counselor who I told I was interested in going to WashU. And she was fantastic. This woman was all about making this happen for me. She was like, I signed you up for this book award. And so I ended up winning this WashU book award and it included a tour of the campus. Go to the campus and was like, this is where I need to be. Mm. Something about this campus just really spoke to me. And I was like, this is where I'm going. This is my ultimate goal. I'll apply to a couple of other places, but this is what I'm working for. And so I get in. And I'm excited that you get that financial aid letter. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) And so I remember talking to my counselor about this because she's like, but you got in. You should be happy. I'm like, yeah, but we can't afford this. I don't know who they thought was applying for this. but (laughs) And this woman was like, look, I know Bill Whitbroad, who was the head of uh, financial aid at that point. He was already coming to our school to talk about financial aid to the the juniors and the seniors at the class. And there's just this whole other world to applying to colleges, especially about financial aid, that you if you know the right people, you know there are some other things you can do to help you along (laughs) to go that. I didn't know the right people, but my counselor did. And when I tell you that she made that happen so that it was possible for me to attend WashU, that's exactly what happened. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) In my experience, I just had never had a school counselor that was that dedicated, you know, and I'll, she must've seen something in me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then when I was applying for grad school, I was a little more conscious. I, you know, looked into the different programs and this was the time when uh, there were pharmaceutical commercials on TV left and right. And, but then at the end they would like speed through, oh, all these different side effects and both of them. And I was like, it just, I didn't love that. (laughs) So again, I find these programs where they're looking at like natural plant products and um, stumbled upon medicinal chemistry and pharmacognosy, which thankfully in the U.S. has grown a little bit more. But Mm. at the time, I think Ole Miss had a program. uh, University of Illinois Chicago had one. Uh, The faculty that had initially started the department there had come out of, uh, was it somewhere in Pennsylvania? It's either Pittsburgh or it's uh, Philadelphia. I'm drawing a blank on that now. But like they were considered some of the forefathers of the field, but they were there at Chicago. And when it came down to it, I was balancing the options of, do I want to go to Ole Miss or do I want to go to Chicago? And I was like, gut check. I don't want to go to Mississippi. (laughs) (laughs) And Chicago seems like a real cool city to live. So of course, I didn't know anything about Chicago winters because I was like, we're just going across the state. (laughs) But it was great motivation for finishing up because by the time (laughs) I hit my fifth year, I was like, gotta be done because I'm not doing another Chicago winter. Gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. And that's why you went to California? (laughs) Well, I was um, I was planning on getting married by the time I was finishing up grad school, and the agreement we came to was if I had a job offer before that, then I could go where I got the job offer. But if I didn't have concrete plans, then I would relocate to California where my spouse already was gainfully employed. <laughs> And I could figure it out from there. Oh, well, that worked out really well then, because you got a position that worked really well for you. It did. I'm not, while I occasionally have missed the seasons, <laughs> and um, I don't know that I'm as excited to be this far away from, from our family and everything, but I actually like the area. It's, it's nice, you know, minus the whole cost of living thing and all that other oh. stuff. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> I actually enjoy California. <laughs> 
I'm very, very happy to hear that. You mentioned that your family was nearby when you were at WashU. What do you think the closeness of your family did for your undergraduate experience? Did it change it at all, do you think? Yes. So, <laughs> uh, yes. And, and part of that is when you're undergrad, you end up broke a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> um, couldn't afford to do laundry on campus. Once I got my own car, I've definitely like packed it up and been like, I'm here to do laundry. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to eat. Um, but usually what comes to mind for me when I think about that is because of the family that I have and how we are would be the friends and the connections that I was making at undergrad is definitely a, Oh, you're not going home for Thanksgiving. Come on over to my house. My mom's always willing to feed people. Um, You know, once we got past freshman year and I had my own car, it was, I can give you a ride to the airport or I can help you move this. And, and so by being local and not heading out, I felt like I, I could offer more to my friends that maybe they weren't, if they weren't able to go back home, like, hey, I got a spot. Family's crazy, heads up. But, you know, <laughs> you're welcome to come through. <laughs> that kind of thing. And I think that that helped, you know, further build some of the friendships and, and relationships that came from undergrad as a result of that. Um, when my older sister was in town because she had gone to college before I did, it was, hey, you know, come and hang out. You get to kind of share this moment where normally because we didn't go to the same schools, it would have been a little more disconnected. And my younger sister, this was, of course, before cell phones were really popular, but she would like call my freshman room and like leave a voicemail message about how (laughs) kindergarten was. And and so it's always fun because now, you know, I've got these friends from college and they're like, your sister's how old now? Man, we're getting old. I'm like, yeah, I know. Because she was, she was what, five, six when you met her? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That is quite the age difference. I hadn't realized it was basically over a decade it sounds like yes 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 there's there's over a decade between my younger sister and me and my older sister me and my older sister are much closer and I would say that we probably have well it's it's a lot of love now but we were growing up because we're so close in age but we were constantly moving around it was like a love-hate relationship like I'm really tired of being around you all the time but also you're the only person I know please don't go anywhere (laughs) Is there anything that you've taken from your parents in the way that you parent? Because I know you mentioned that you have some little ones of your own. I do. I have two little ones that are hell-bent on destroying our house. Patience is is welcome, but to some degree, you've got to... The fundamental basis of parenting is, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to help prepare you for the world. Yes. And I have definitely i think both me and my husband have used that same line i don't need to be your friend you don't have to like me but you will do what needs to be done because i got to prepare you for the world that's out there for you yes um lots of laughter lots of music i think both me and my husband both grew up in a house where music was always in the background is a fundamental part of it um but yeah i mean patience you, you just sometimes you just have to know when to let your kids grow and do what they're going to do, foster whatever it is that they're into, because that's definitely, you know, as I told you, that's something my dad totally did. And my mom was a, a big fan of that. So my oldest is currently into doing scientific experiments, which part of me is like, oh, this is so great. But then the other part is, have you ever tried to do scientific experiments with somebody that is not as uh, litigious <laughs> or as rigorous in their methodology as they need to be that's the part where I'm like oh my goodness I don't 
I don't know if I have it in me to teach you. <laughs> we we just try to go from that point. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think it'll be exciting to see what they're like and what they're interested in as they grow up. If you don't mind, we can kind of circle back to work because so many of the people who listen to the interviews that I do are junior trainees still in the academic space. Could you tell us what a day in the life of your work is actually like? So I work for an early stage startup. When I first came in, I was a scientist. So was doing a lot of the hands-on lab work. Well, I'm still at the, we're still a startup. And so I still do a lot of lab work. But now at the level that I'm at, um, usually my day is parsed out with, there are going to be meetings that need to be attended. Sometimes they're potential customers that are interested in trying clarity. So, you know, we're talking about that, what that could do for their research what they might expect from us if they engage us in a project. There will be follow-up meetings for customers that we've already had, and here's your data, this is what it looked like, and now we want to discuss it. Um, What are next steps? What does this data mean? It's 3D IHC and imaging in this three dimensions, which is different from the standard that's out there with like looking at 2D slices. Mm -hmm. And so there's usually a level of education that kind of ties in with that and This is what you're looking at. This is what you're seeing type of stuff. And then, of course, you have, has everything gone right? (laughs) Is the software acting like it's supposed to? Yes, no. (laughs) Did something crash? (laughs) Are we missing anything? So there there are all these different aspects. I still very much keep a lab notebook that is behind to date, (laughs) as I'm sure so many can relate to. Absolutely. You know, the fundamental basis is still there. I think the biggest difference from me being a scientist is that I can't wholeheartedly dedicate all of my attention to that. I am a manager of people now, which grad school does not (laughs) prepare you for. When I was a postdoc, a friend of mine who was in the education sector worked for a program called College Track. And so he was trying to convince me to do tutoring for East Palo Alto. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about tutoring. I don't know if I have the patience for teaching, that kind of stuff. But he eventually convinced me, and I ended up doing that for, I think, the majority of the time that I was doing a postdoc. I would do it in the evenings. And these were all first-generation, or they would be first-generation college students. And so you start to have this interaction um, with, they're definitely in another generation from me. And you, these conversations kind of let me to be like, you know what, I actually do kind of want to, I want to help you avoid any of the pitfalls that I found myself in. Like, let's intentionally try to make sure that you don't go to college and you feel alone. Mm. But so when you go, look for these resources, you know, whatever's going to work for you, because these can be supportive communities to help you navigate when it feels like times get tough. They might have some insights. You find out about um, old notes <laughs> or study groups or, you know, resources. Hey, you want to join this group because they'll help you find an internship you know, for whatever it is you want to do. And I, I, I'm i a firm believer in wanting to, I don't think knowledge should be hidden. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it should be a secret. I think in undergrad, it that's not the case. But I think being able to find the resources that help you know that that's not the case mm-hmm. can be a, a problem, especially if you don't have anyone in your family or you know anyone that can tell you about those options. In grad school, I found that that was the case where 
yeah, you get to the point where you're doing the research, but the classes I was taking, you know, they've got like articles that they put at the end and nobody, the professor never says, you should read those articles because those questions are going to show up on the test. (laughs) Or, you know, we also expect you to do all of these other things, even though nobody has said them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're in like 10 point font on your (laughs) syllabus. And, you know, it just... I I think that there's power in being able to pass on that knowledge and helping prepare people. And if I'm teaching, be it a course or tutoring or even, you know, just explaining and teaching what we do here at the company to somebody that's new or, you know, explaining a new area for them. I think that that can help empower you, that you become more confident in yourself. Yeah. But also that's going to allow you to do better. I enjoy my job. You don't have to love it, but I would love for you to like it because, you know, that's why we're here. Right? We want success. We want to do better. And, and I just try to keep that philosophy. All right. Well, I'll say thank you. And I, I can't wait to continue speaking with you in the future. I think I might just call you every once in a while for your advice and your wisdom. <laughs> I try. I, I've got stories. I try, though. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you.